My name is Stuart Mazell. I'm pastor, uh, lead pastor of uh, Westminster. It's great to see all of you here today. If you're visiting with us, um, thank you for visiting with us and uh, coming here to worship. You could have gone anywhere and you chose to come here. We're very thankful that you did. Thank you to all of you who are joining us online as well. We're very thankful that the Lord has allowed us to have um, these opportunities to be able to worship together, and to be able to hear the scriptures because we believe that there is life in them because they always point us to Jesus. And I hope that you'll hear that in the sermon um, today. We, we've been going through the series of life together. And part of the reason why we're doing this series is in connection with the Sunday school series that we're doing on vision. Again, I would encourage you if you haven't been attending that, it's not too late. We've got one more. And even if you can't attend or you haven't been able to attend, I am assured that those videos, we're recording it, and those videos will be online. Anybody who wants to watch them, uh, you just need to let us know when we will make sure that we provide you that link. And you can see where we believe God is taking us and what we need to do to get there, hopefully. But uh, this series, Life Together, is um, something I think we really need to hear today. Um, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, one of the things that happens in uh, churches is people come and go. And what we, we talked about was the number one reason why people usually stay. It's not the only reason, but the number one reason why people usually stay at a church is because of relationship. Relationships are really important in the life of the church. They're very important in the life of our society right now because we're moving further and further away from face-to-face -face relationships. So we need more of one another, not less. And that's part of what we want to do in this series. We've, we've seen so far that we're called to community. That's what Jesus calls us to. Is anyone who follows Jesus is called not only to Jesus, but to those who follow him. Uh, we've seen that we need each other. We belong to one another. Uh, we've seen that the world can see our witness as believers best when we are together. And we've also seen, as last week we talked about, how we are to invest in one another as well as learn from one another. So today we're going to be looking at uh, a passage from the book of James, James chapter 5. This passage, for those of you who know it, uh, there are all kinds of things that this passage brings up, but you'll notice that every single verse is about prayer. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, starting in verse 13, this is God's word from the book of James, chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let me pray for us. Father, every verse in that passage reminds us how important prayer is. So by your Spirit, will you not only remind us or teach us what we need to know about prayer, but fill us, Holy Spirit, so that we would pray. That we would be a praying church. That we would pray for one another well and we would pray for other people well that you would stir our hearts to be those who intercede and pray for each other often and well and Lord only you can do this I can say words but only you have the power to change the heart so for every one of us myself included would you meet us where we are Give us what we need, whether it is rebuke, whether it is encouragement, whether it is strength, whether it is faith, whether it is repentance, whether it is good works, whatever it may be, give us what we need so that we will live out what your word tells us to do. For your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I recently came across this uh, website called World Values Survey. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of it, but it is a very interesting website, and I almost got a little lost in it because it was so fascinating to me. What they do is they survey people from all over the world about their values to see what it is that the world values. And um, you, can, you can do all the nations of the world, or you can just do certain ones. So just out of curiosity, I put United States, and I said, okay, what is it that we value? And these are the, these are the conclusions that they came up with, uh, valued as very important in the United States. All right, so the first in the United States, what do we value? the highest percentage at 91% was family. 91%. Obvious that we value family. There's a big drop here. 50% friends. And then 39% leisure time and work. They were both tied. So we value family, we value friends, we value leisure time and work, and then at 37% religion. That's the United States. Made me think, huh, 
Okay, well, I wonder what we're instilling into the next generation. And guess what? They have something about that, values that we think are important for children to know. So I looked at that. Number one value in the United States, tolerance at 70%. Number one. Next was hard work, which actually I was glad to see. And then independence at 55%. Good manners at 51%. Where do you think religious faith fell? Installing, installing, in, <laughs> trying to instill in our children that faith is important. 32%. 32%. What we say we value, whether as a country or as a church or as a family or as an individual, it reveals a lot about us, right? As a nation, we value tolerance being taught to our children more than we do faith. That tells a lot about us. But I want to argue something even deeper, that what we actually do in light of what we say are our values is even more important, and it reveals even more about us. And that's what we're talking about today when we talk about prayer, right? Because you'd be hard-pressed to find one Christian here in Sumter who would say, you know what, I don't think prayer is all that important. Right? Be hard pressed to find that person. But as uh, Brian Croft in his book, The Pastor's Soul, The Call uh, and Care of an Under Shepherd, says hmm, if you want to make virtually any believer feel inadequate, ask him about his prayer life. That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? If you want to make virtually any believer feel inadequate, ask him about his prayer life. Try it. Just, you know, invite someone to lunch and say, tell me about your prayer life and watch them go, oh boy, right? Because all of us feel inadequate. And look, my desire today when we talk about prayer is not to make you feel inadequate. That's not my desire. My desire is not to make you feel guilty about not praying or the lack of your prayers or whatever it may be. I want to encourage us to pray, to give you encouragement why it's good for us to pray and to hopefully help you to see how Jesus connects with your prayers that will encourage you and give you fuel to pray. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Christ followers are called to pray for one another. All right, we're called to pray, but we're not just called to pray. We are called to pray for one another. As a James 5:16 says, "Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed." Now, granted, James 5 has a context, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So this pray for one another is in a very specific way of how we are to pray for one another. But you can't deny that all throughout Scripture, we are called to pray for one another even outside of this context, 
right? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.25, very simple phrase. Paul says, brothers, pray for us. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brothers, pray for us. Okay? Can't make it any more simple than that. And then he practiced what he preached when he said that, Paul did, because in Ephesians 1.16, and he says this in other places, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul was a man who prayed for other people consistently. Something I've been thinking about, um, that prayer really is an act of love. If you think about it, when I pray for you, when you pray for someone else, that's an act of love. You are showing love to that person. Even if they never know that you prayed for them, you're still showing love because you're going to the God of the universe and on their behalf asking for something, right? Think about that. It's sort of like what Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I bear your burden when I hear what's going on in your life and I take it to God in prayer. That's bearing one another's burdens. And this is an easy way, in one way, for us to bear one another's burdens because we hear about it and we simply say, let me pray. Let me go to the one who can actually do something about this. You know, yesterday, I was, um, <laughs> we were cleaning out some stuff in our garage because you know what happens with garages. They start to fill up with stuff. And uh, some of the stuff was just trash. It needed to be, it needed to go. And I, I found out that some of the stuff had to be taken to the special dump on uh, 76 outside of Sumter. So I'm driving that way, and as I'm praying, I'm praying about a lot of different things, and some people's, people's names came to my mind, and I'm thinking, oh, I wish I could do something about that. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, wait, I can do something about it. I can pray. I can pray for this person. I can take that burden and say, God, I can't handle this. They can't handle this, but you can. Take it. And that is how we care and love for one another. As followers of Christ, we are called to pray for one another. And our prayers for one another are not limited to one area. Okay? Our prayers are not limited to one area. I grew up in a church that had a Wednesday night prayer meeting, okay? Now, I don't know why they called it a prayer meeting, because we only spent about five or ten minutes praying. The rest of the time was another lecture from the pastor, okay? So it really wasn't a prayer meeting. It was more like a, another sermon and then a little bit of prayer. But during that little bit of prayer, you know what we did? We talked about ailments. You know, my back hurts, my toe hurts, so-and-so's in the hospital, so-and-so is, um, you know, feeling a having a headache and they couldn't come tonight. And it was just all about physical ailments. And that's good. That's good for us. We need to pray for one another about those things, as this passage will tell us. But that's not the only thing that we can pray about, right? We're not limited to one thing. 
I mean, think about this passage in James chapter uh, 5, verse 13 and following. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Okay, that just starts off. If you're suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, if there's any suffering in your life at all, pray about it. And then he goes on to say, let him, let, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Right? So yes, there is prayer for the sick. But then we also see in the same passage in verse 17, they bring up Elijah. Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who, oh, he had a tough time. He just, he, he was, he, he just had really had a tough time, all right? But one thing he did was he prayed. And it says in verse 17 and 18, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, right? That has nothing to do with your health. That has nothing to do with your Aunt Marie's stub toe, right? It's just he prayed for that it wouldn't rain, and then it didn't rain, and then he prayed again, and it rained. There is no limit on the areas in which we can pray about for one another. All right? In fact, Philippians 4, 6 says it this way, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The requests for yourself, yes, but also those things for other people. As we're praying for other people, there's not one thing that you can't go to the Lord and say, I know this is happening in this person's life and I want to pray about it. Not one thing, no matter what it is, right? Sometimes people ask, like, is it okay to pray... Um, for my friend whose dog died. Like, like that's, not a, you know, that's not a worthy thing for God to hear about. Their dog died. Can I pray about that? Yeah, you certainly can. Is it affecting that person? Is it causing a burden for them in some way? Then yeah. I can tell you, you need to pray for my kids if my dog dies. Because they love that dog so much. And in fact, sometimes even when I just, I mean, I, I, I can't look at them right now because if I look at them, some of them might even be tearing up just by thinking about Jack dying. Poor little Jack. He's so cute. I wish I had a picture of him. Show you. But there's nothing that's off the table when it comes to praying. We can lift up any kind of prayer to God on behalf of others, knowing that God will know what to do. And this is where I want to encourage you, that God gives us powerful encouragement to pray. Look, I can stand up here all day and tell you that you should pray. And you'll all nod your head and say, yep, you're right, I should do that. And then you feel a little bit guilty, maybe a little you know, frustrated or whatever, and then you leave and maybe nothing changes. What will encourage you to pray? To really think prayer is worth it? Well, think about what this passage says. 
James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The, the underlying idea here is you're suffering. Don't just sit in it. Go to the one who can do something about that suffering. Right? He goes on in verse 13. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Yeah, so here you are. You are praying uh, sorry, you are um, cheerful about something, you're thankful, you're happy about something, and you sing praises to God. That's a part of your prayer life. And then verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. I want you to know, now, I said this to someone recently, and they were like, you guys do that? That sounds kind of weird. But yeah, as a church, we do this. Anybody who calls on us and says, I'm sick or I have a loved one who's sick, would you please bring the elders, let them gather around this person. Yes, we do anoint them with oil. And then we pray for them out of obedience in the scriptures. And we do so believing that God will stay true to his promises. There are some of you in this room right now who have seen the power of God at work through the prayer of faith offered. And you could give testimony right now about that. And then you might, the skeptical among us might ask, well, Stuart, does it always heal when you pray? I mean, if that's the case, no one would ever die, right? I mean, no one would ever be sick. Because we would all be saying, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for my loved one, so they won't die, right? But I want you to notice the language of this passage. Verse 15. No, 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 sorry. Go back. There we go. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Here's the promise. God is going to be true to this word, whether in this life or in the next. You know you can't fail by calling on your elders to pray for your sickness. And you will either be healed in this life, but you definitely will be healed in the next because you'll have a resurrection body that can never suffer or die again. He will raise you up. That's the promise of our God. And then he goes on further to say, and if he has committed sins, this is the verse, yeah, uh, James 5.15, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Not only will you be healed sick-wise, but you will be healed when it comes to sin. That your sins will be forgiven. Oh man, that is great encouragement for us to call on the elders to pray in all kinds of situations. And then there's verse 16, 
which I know makes some of us feel uncomfortable because it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to confess my sin to anybody. I have a hard, time, hard enough time talking to God about my sins. Do I want to talk to you about it? What if you gossip about it? What if you take it to someone else and say, did you know what so-and-so did? Right? There's that sphere that we have. But here's what the scriptures say. Confess your sins to one another. And then you pray for one another. And what does the passage say? That you may be healed. I wonder, I wonder if we as a church are missing out on some type of healing because we are unwilling to confess our sin to somebody and have that somebody pray for us. This is God's promise, okay? And I get it. Let me, let me just clear this up right now. I get it. It's hard to confess sin. And you're thinking, I couldn't confess sin in a situation like this. I couldn't confess sin in a small group. I couldn't confess sin one-to-one. You can. Let me show you. Just this morning. Just this morning. Something came up. <laughs> and... Um, I was very envious of another pastor in town. I don't have to say words about who he is or the church or anything, but um, it's the sexy church in town. It's the church that everybody's kind of flocking to right now. I was jealous. I was envious. And I'm driving to this worship service today, praying, uh, praying about the service, praying about what I'm going to share, praying about that God would be at work. And I'm thinking, there's sin on me right now, in me. And it's envy, it's jealousy, because I want that. And I realize this is sin. That envy, that jealousy, it's sin. And it shouldn't be. And so I said, Lord, please forgive me. And then I was thinking, i got to share this, don't I? (laughs) But I do that just to say, look, if I can share a sin like that with all of you, surely you can find one person that you trust to say, here's what I'm struggling with. Will you pray for me? And I'm going to ask, will you pray for me? when it comes to envy, because it's been something that's been going on for quite a a long time. I haven't gotten victory over that one. So pray for me about envy being in my heart and jealousy in my own heart. So this passage says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I'm expecting God to do something in just the fact that we confess and we pray for one another. That's great encouragement. And then we also have this thing about Elijah. And I love this. Oh, gosh, I love this passage so much because he says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just like us. He wasn't somebody special. Now, yeah, you would say, well, he was a prophet and God called him. Yeah, but you know what? 
Before God called him, he was just like you, just like me. Nothing special about him. He didn't have superpowers, like, you know, he didn't like, you know, have some gamma radiation turn into him and he changes his whole DNA structure and he suddenly has powers to be able to move things with his mind. He doesn't have that. He's just a plain, ordinary guy that God called to do something. And then when he prayed, it did not rain for three years and six months. That's powerful. And then he prayed again, and it rained. See, even if you're thinking, I'm not special, I don't have some kind of special gift of prayer, I don't have, you know, superpowers, it doesn't matter. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed, and God did amazing things. It's more about God who can do more than we can ask or imagine than me or you, right? It just takes someone who's willing to say, God, be at work. God loves those prayers. And then there's one last thing that I hope you might think, this isn't going to encourage me, <laughs> but it will. Just hold on. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Right? The prayer of a righteous person has great power. So what he's saying is if there's someone who is righteous and they pray, their prayers are so powerful. Those prayers get something done. And then almost every one of you in this room, you're probably thinking, but I'm not righteous, Stuart. So my prayers can't be powerful. That's where our greatest encouragement to pray comes from, people. I want you to hear this. Again, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Our greatest encouragement to pray is found in Christ. He is our great encouragement. Our greatest encouragement to pray is found in Christ. Jesus is our great high priest. And generally speaking, a priest is someone who intercedes on behalf of people to God. He's one who represents the people to God. And Jesus is that priest. He is the Son of God, the God who put on flesh and He dwelt among us. And He was made like us in every respect. He was tempted in every way like we have been, yet He did not sin. Was he tempted to envy? Yes, but he didn't give in. Mm -hmm. Was he tempted to sexual sin? Yes, but did he give in? No. Was he tempted to not love his neighbor? Yes, but he didn't give in. He loved his neighbor. Was he tempted to steal? Yes, but he did not steal. And you can go through any command in Scripture... Did Jesus, was Jesus tempted like we are? Yes, he was, but he didn't give in. And then it's he who represents us before the Father. Do you hear that? He intercedes for us. The righteous, sinless, beloved Son of God who died for us and rose from the dead for us 
always lives to intercede for us. And James tells us that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful. And guess who's praying for you? It's Jesus. The most righteous person that has ever lived. He intercedes for you. In fact, he lives forever to always intercede for us. And then Jesus calls us to pray, not only for ourselves as individuals, but for others. Our high priest knows our weaknesses and he can sympathize with them because he's gone through similar things like we have. And he's able and he's willing to give us whatever mercy we need, whatever grace we need in our time of need. And he tells us that we can draw near with confidence, not with fear, not with inadequacy in mind, not with trembling, but we can draw near with confidence because Jesus has taken care of our sins. He's nailed them to the cross. He who became, he who knew no sin became sin at the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is where this relates to your prayers. Because Jesus is righteous, and because he died for you who believe, right? And he rose from the dead for you. You now have a position of righteous. Not because you deserve it. You don't. I don't. Not because you've done some good works. They don't really count because they're all messed with sin. It's just all mixed up in there. No, but what Jesus has done is he has clothed you with his righteousness. And now, our prayers in Christ can be powerful too. Because we're in Christ. Because we're beloved children. Because God has already... He has not even spared His Son for us. How will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? He's a good Father who knows how to give good gifts to His children and He loves us and cares for us. And since we have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, our prayers are powerful too. But even if James, when he's talking about this, is talking about functional, everyday, practical righteousness and not like our position in Christ, even if that's what James is getting at. Think about this. James tells us that if we confess our sins, those sins will be forgiven. John says the same thing in 1 John when he says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about that. Think about that just for a minute. God would be unfaithful if he did not forgive a sin that you confessed. God would be unjust if he did not forgive you for a sin that you confessed. Why? Because Jesus has already paid for your sin. Jesus went to the cross and when he said, it is finished, it was. Your sin no longer is yours because Jesus has removed it. And as we confess our sins, we know without a shadow of a doubt 
God forgives. God cleanses from unrighteousness. And what position does that put you in? You're now right before your God functionally as you confess your sins to him because he's faithful and just to forgive. And that means your prayers can be powerful too. Just start your prayer off with, okay, God, here are my sins. I don't want to have anything that is holding my prayers back. Now that I've just gushed all that to you, here's what I want to pray about for my brother, for my sister. And on top of all of that, I was thinking about this this week, and it just, it's so amazing to me that Jesus did this. The very one who died for us, the very one who rose from the dead for us, the one who, on the cross, who is being mocked, he's been beaten, people are yelling things at him, he's bleeding out, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So forgive them. That's powerful. That our Lord, our Savior, would do that for people who are mean to Him. Who were abusing Him. And Jesus says, that's the kind of prayer life I want you to have. I want you to pray for those around you. And I want you to pray that even they will be forgiven for God's glory and for their good. So that leads us to our action point for today. Here it is. Pray specifically for specific people. I can't say that fast because I'll get tongue-tied. Pray specifically for specific people. Why am I saying it that way? How many times do we default to this kind of prayer? Lord, will you please bless our church? Lord, will you please bless the people over in China? Lord, will you bless our missionaries? Right? What does that even mean? And how are we going to know if God has truly indeed blessed them? No, but when you pray specifically for specific people about specific issues and God enters in and you see him do something, that encourages you to pray even more, right? Like the story of George Mueller. Some of you may have heard George Mueller was a a, a man who lived, I think, in the 1800s and he... um, one of the things he did was he started an orphanage. And he never asked anyone for anything when it came to that orphanage. Uh, Got to change, change that. He did ask someone. He asked God. But he never asked another human being. <laughs> and there's this story about one time where the kids didn't have an, any food to eat for, that, for breakfast that morning. And George Mueller, he prays, believing that God is going to supply. And there's a knock on the door, and a baker says, I got all this bread, don't know what to do with it here. And a milkman comes, he says, I got all this milk, I don't know what to do with it here. And they had their food for breakfast. 
when you pray specifically for specific people about specific things, then you get to see God at work, and man, does that encourage you to pray more. And you know I have to drop this in, right? How are you going to pray specifically for specific people about specific things if you don't know specific people and their specific problems? Life groups are a great way for you to do that. I know, it sounds like a commercial now. But in all seriousness, if you want to have people praying for you, you cannot sit at home on your couch hoping someone is going to pray specifically for you. You got to get involved in someone's life. Let them pray for you. You pray for them. That is what the scriptures call us to. And maybe that's the person you can confess your sins to. Maybe that's the person that you can pray for healing. Whatever it might be, you can share your concerns and know someone is praying specifically for me. Life groups provide a great way for you to do that. If you're not involved in a life group, you might not get that kind of specific prayer. But if you're in one, you're more likely to get it. So pray specifically for specific people. And by the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus, let's abound in praying for each other, as Jesus calls us to. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to pray for these specific people right here that are hearing this message. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you as the Spirit of prayer to stir our hearts, to stir our minds, to stir our very souls, that we would be encouraged to pray and encouraged to pray for one another. And Jesus, you've given us all the encouragement that we need. We're thankful that we know that you pray for us and that you have taken care of our sins and we can come boldly with whatever our concerns are. And because of that, we want to pray. Pray for ourselves. Pray for others. Pray for our church. So would you work in each one of us today that we would not leave here feeling guilty, not leave here feeling inadequate, but leave here feeling encouraged that we can pray and know that you will listen and you will respond with your wisdom, your goodness, your power. And Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Oh,